invite you to do that. I want to talk for the third week on understanding who we are, who we are in Christ. And there's different pictures through the New Testament that God, through his word, paints of his people. And uh, we've been talking a little bit about that. And uh, this series was prepared probably three weeks ago, not completely prepared, but we were in the midst of preparing and uh, planned. We had planned on what we were going to speak about more than three weeks ago. But one of the things that we wanted to talk about is what I'm going to discuss tonight. And it's simply this. Who am I? I am a member in the body of Christ. I am a member in the body of Christ. That's who we are. When we break it down, uh, it's not about exactly where we live. It's not about where we work. It's not about which family and heritage and history we have. When we uh, understand completely that we have walked away from all of that when we were buried in his name we were baptized into a brand new family that we became in that moment a member of the body of Christ and uh, tonight I'd like to just take a few moments and I'd like to discuss with us um, unity diversity and maturity unity diversity and maturity and that's what happens if we are members in the body of Christ Romans chapter 12 and verse 5 states this, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 to verse 20 states this, For by one spirit are we all baptized into into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, there's no race or culture. Whether we be bond or free, there's no socioeconomic class. There's not an upper class, a middle class, a lower class. There isn't a no class like school on Sunday, no class. That that isn't there. There There's no bond or free. We've all, the scripture says, we've been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. We have one body. Everybody say it. One body. Many members. We have many members, even if there is one body. And and Paul goes on to talk to Corinth, and he says, If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, then where were the smelling? But now God has set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleased him your position right now sometimes where where, wherever you are choosing to minister or wherever you've been uh, chosen to minister or whatever activity you have in the body of believers where you are understand this that God has placed you there God has placed you there it says now God has set the members every one of them everyone some say that that's me That includes me, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, then where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. I I think Paul was struggling with some of the struggles that we face within our culture. Obviously, culture, uh, times may change. In, in, inventions may improve our standard of living, and, but people don't really change. We still struggle with the same struggles that they did in Paul's day. We still have wishes and desires. Sometimes many of us wonder why we're, why we're in the lot that we're in, why we're serving where we're serving, why we're living the way that we're living, why we're challenged with the challenges that we're facing right now. But God has placed you where you are. 
And uh, sometimes that's a difficult road to walk, but understand that God in his perfect way has allowed you and chosen you to walk the path that you're walking right now. And God has placed you on that path so you can be at work in his body for a real and specific purpose. So again, let's take a look at, at how we get into the body. The Bible says that we get there by baptism. We talk a lot about baptism at Capital Community Church because the Bible talks a lot about baptism. The Bible is very implicit, that, that explicit that baptism is an act that connects us to the body. It, it speaks to us in this verse about, about how that baptism opens the door. The Greek word baptizo literally means to submerge, but it also has a figurative meaning that is to identify. Identify. Baptism identifies us with Christ by his name. Not just by a title, but by his name. Someone say his name. And if someone were to ask you for identification, if someone's to ask me for identification, I don't say, well, I'm the son of Victor. Now, that may work if you're at the Kingston, on the Kingston Peninsula. Someone may have an idea about who I am, uh, but that, that's not going to get me very far with any authorities or any banking system or anything like that. They, if I just say, well, I'm the, I'm the son of Victor, that ain't going to get me far at all. They, they're just going to look at me. They want to know my name. John Edward Lehman. That's my name. And when I need to be identified, then that's the name that I use. Can I just remind us that baptism happens in Jesus' name because that allows us to be identified with Christ. If baptism has twofold meaning, if it, it literally means to submerge, but at the same time that Greek word had that figurative meaning that is to identify, then when we are buried in the name of Jesus, then we are identified with him. I, I, I'm grateful today that I'm not identified with the Lehman history, but I, I get to be identified with Christ's work in my life. I, I get to be identified by a brand new name, a brand new powerful name. I'm grateful that the name that I get to identify with can heal broken bodies. I, I'm grateful that the name that I get to identify with can, can restore broken lives. I, I'm so thankful today that the name that I get to identify with doesn't bring shame, but rather it removes shame. It doesn't bring sin, but it removes sin. The name that I get to identify with is in that baptismal tank. When I go down in a watery grave of baptism, I rise to walk in newness of life. So I'm not identified by the old past any longer I'm identified by a new creation I'm identified by a new opportunity I get to be identified by his name and I'm grateful for that today his name identifies the body that you are baptized into. There, there aren't two bodies. The scripture was emphatic. There's just one body. However, that body is made up of many members many members. The, 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 there's not two bodies. There's just one body. And that body, if we're going to operate in the body, then how, how many know that, that there's personality differences maybe in your, well, there is. I can just tell you. There, there's personality differences in your family. If you're married, there are personality differences between you and your wife. And in order for there to be harmony in the home, there's got to be a condition that's met on both sides of the party to walk together in unity. That there are going to be times when I disagree with the, the direction that's being taken, but to, to be unified with my wife, then, then we're going to walk together. And, and maybe, uh, maybe I don't want to go shopping again. 
but I'm going to walk into that mall just like we own it. And we're going to go shopping. Why? Because I may walk down. She, she may not want to go down to the fishing hole, but she's going to trudge down through the path. No, she's not. She, she has gone fishing with me before. But, but in order for us to agree, there, we have some differences in opinion. We have some differences in what we prefer. But sometimes we've got to lay our preferences aside. And if we are to walk together, then we've got to walk in unity. That means dismissing them some things that, that we don't always agree on so that we can walk together. I, I'd rather walk together than walk independent. I, I'd rather walk together. That, that's, my, that's my desire. But sometimes I've got to give something up in order to do that. And the Bible talks to us about the power of unity. And, and if a body is going to operate as the body should, then you've got to operate in unity. Unity. Someone say unity. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Well, that would tell you right there that, that sometimes, if it means that we've got, we've got to, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, it means that there's going to be a little bit of suffering sometimes. If the Bible's talking about long suffering and forbearing, then sometimes there's some burdens that we're going to have to bear. There's some suffering that we're going to have to endure if we're going to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In order to keep peace, we got to give up our preference sometimes, but that's necessary in order for us to walk together in unity. Paul goes on to list seven things that bind us all together. He, he, he basically starts the chapter out and he begins to tell us there's some things that, that you're going to disagree on. There's some things that, that's going to cause some division, that's going to want to cause division. There's some things that are going to cause dissension sometimes, he said, but, but there are seven things that I want to remind you about that in the midst of your troubling season, in the midst of, of just wanting to throw in the towel and walk out the back door, because you can't do that and maintain the body. The body can't suffer your loss because you are part of the body. So you need to be a part of the body. We can't afford for you to leave the body because you leave that function of the body in, uh, without purpose and without ability when you walk out. So, so Paul says there's going to be some times when there's long suffering and there's going to be some times when there's forbearance. You're going to have to endeavor to keep the unity. So here's some, a little reminder. There's some things that bind us together that are stronger than the things that want to tear us apart. There are some things that bind us together that are greater than the thing that wants to divide you. There's some things that bind us together that, that are of greater reward if you'll just hang in there and be a part of what God wants to do in this day, in this age. It's not time to leave. It's not time to backslide. It's not time to back up. It's time to lean in and be involved with what God is going to do in this season. I I just wish someone by faith would begin to believe that this isn't over. God is just beginning to do something marvelous and something miraculous. So be intentional about being a part of what God wants to do. There's seven things that bind us together in this in this time, and, and, and we got to remember them. Ephesians 4 and verse 4 says, uh, we're talking about it, there is one body. But it's not just one body. He goes on to say there's one spirit, even as 
Ye are called in one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. There's some oneness things that bind us all together that are greater than some things that would that, that the enemy would seek to use to divide us. We, we've got one body. We've got a marvelous church. And I'm just not talking about 71 Downing Street. I, I'm grateful that we're a part of the church that spans the globe. We're a part of the church that meets in underground China right now under Oswald. Come on, with the government wishing to push them out the door. They're still meeting and they're still growing and they're still having revival. And we are a part of that church. Why? Because it's one body. It's the church. We get to be a part of the church. We don't have it all that bad. We get to be a part of a body of believers. We have a tremendous church family. We are a part of the church. We are a part of a wonderful fellowship of people that believe this truth and believe this salvation message like we do. And I am so thankful for the body of believers that connects us and intertwines amongst us and the accountability that comes as a result of it. I'm grateful for the church. The church is bigger than we are. The church is bigger than our idea of what it is. The church, it's God's church. And, and I, I'm just so privileged to be a part of it today. But it isn't just one body. He went on to say, it's one spirit. That same spirit that was poured out on the birthday of the church, that Pentecost that we celebrate just this past Pentecost Sunday, it, it, it was the birthday of the church, and we get to celebrate it now. Why? Because his spirit still is poured out. His spirit is still given to men and to women and to children. His spirit is still that thing that binds us together. It's still that one spirit. Didn't change with every dispensation, or this dispensation. It didn't change with every decade. It didn't change as time went along. We still get to have that spirit of God working in our life. One spirit. There's one hope. We have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of an eminent return of Christ that's going to take us back with him. We, we have that hope today. We're not living hopeless. We are living in hope. We have hope that God is able to redeem the time that we're living in. We have hope that God is re able to redeem mankind that, that we're a part of. We have hope today for an end time revival. I'm not hopeless today. I, I've got hope. I, I'm grateful that we have hope in the face of sickness that God can still give healing. I, I'm grateful that in the midst of hopelessness when you look to the world the church says hold on we're just looking heavenward for a moment because we know where our help comes from and we've got hope today in spite of everything that's happening we've got hope we've got one hope we've got one lord jesus is his name we've got one faith that faith that binds us all together that faith that initiated this whole thing that faith but without faith it's impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him we've got one faith it's we're talking about unity tonight we're talking about that ability that God has to bring a group of people from every spectrum of society and put them all together and call it his church not just that but call it his body his body there's one baptism. You can look through scripture. Acts chap chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. There is just one baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. We have that one baptism that baptizes us into this body. We have one God. Not two gods, not two ways. We've got one God. 
and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in us all. We have a God who's on our side. We have a God who's working for us. We have one God at work for this body today. It's one body. In one body, and, and in the midst of everything that we're talking about, if God is that, <clears throat> that strong on oneness, then we can be certain that God is very intentional that his people walk in unity. And I believe that God wants to solidify some things that we already know. We have to distinguish sometimes between unity and uniformity. Because sometimes people look and they say, well, you're just trying to create a, a uniform society. Well, no. Uh, uniformity is mechanical. It's, a, it's pushing someone under pressure into this form and then waiting for that pressure to, to break down everything that you are so that you just become some mechanical piece of equipment. That, that's not what this is about. Uniformity is mechanical. It's very structured, but unity is messy. It gets, it gets messy sometimes because we all got feelings. We all got our own desires and we all got our, our own roads that we're walking. We've all got kind of these things that we're, we're working on together. So unity can get messy because you have the privilege of being you when we are endeavoring to keep the unity of this. We're not trying to do away with you. We're trying to keep you in the midst of unity. Unity is messy. Unity comes from within. Uniformity is mandated or manufactured. It's, it's something that that's, it forces people and pressurizes them and pushes them. But unity comes from within. It's a growth that happens and it's something that's spurred on. That's why, that's why we talk about maturity in Christ and that as we grow in maturity that, that there are things that we walk into that God begins to work in our lives. That, that there's some things that we begin to shed in our past and we begin to walk into the future that God had. Why? Because it's, it's that there, in order for us to walk in unity, there's some things that I need to leave behind. You can produce uniformity by pressure from without, but you can only produce unity by power from within. And we need God to bring that power to unify us. You know, the, one of the dangers of us not being able to be together is that we all kind of do our own thing. Now, we, we <clears throat> may impose on ourselves to sit down tonight because it's Bible study, and we're going to make ourselves be there at church, but... There are some other things that can just kind of go by the side and, and we just kind of, we get to do our own thing a lot when we have this much freedom. And freedom's not a bad thing, but sometimes the Bible says that our hearts are deceptively wicked, that we don't even know it. And, and our heart can lead us in the wrong way. That's why I need you. And that's why you need us. Unity. You can only practice unity when you are unioned with someone else. You can't practice unity by yourself. And so if God is so intentional about speaking about unity, it's because he intends on you being a part of this body. And here's what's interesting in light of what's happening in our, in our world right now. There, there are three important body 
passages where Paul speaks to the churches about body. He speaks to Rome. He speaks to Corinth. And he speaks to Ephesus about the body of the believers. He, he speaks to them about how they're not just independent and individual, but rather they're a part of something greater than themselves. They're a part of this body of believers that God is using in their world, in their time, the same way that he's using a body of believers in our world, in our time. And, and he if you want to jot these down, take a moment. It's Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, those two chapters, and then Ephesians chapter 4. And in each of these, uh, in each of these chapters, Paul begins to break down the fact that the church is a body and that unity is required. Unity in, in every case, in each one of these churches, he begins by talking to them about unity because we all need unity. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, he said to the church in Rome, for as, much, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. He, he just tackles it head on with Rome. He said, uh, we're many, but we're one body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 6, he said, he, he, he talks to them, the church at Corinth. He said, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. He, he's saying that there's going to be some differences among us. There's going to be some different talents and different abilities. There's going to be some different focuses. We're going to have all kinds of different people working together, but it's all one body. Ephesians chapter 4 he speaks to the church in Ephesus. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Forbearing one another. We need, we need one another. And he goes on in verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, because there is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all. And in you all. So it's, it's very apparent that Paul is speaking to these churches that are under his apostleship. That the priority in their ministries and the priority in their church is for them to have unity. And that's easier said than done sometimes. Because you get two people in a room and it seems like you're going to have ten opinions. But you get 400 people or 500 people in a room. And let's watch the fireworks. It's because we all have our own idea, but Paul, from the very start, says we've got to work together in unity. I am grateful that Pastor Woodward, uh, he creates the opportunity for us to have a dynamic staff meeting. Our staff meetings are, are, aren't just uh, bullet points of things that have to be accomplished, but they're discussions about how we go about doing things and and we've created a bit of a culture where sometimes we don't always agree because we're allowed to voice our opinion around that table but but by the time we leave that room we we have we are purposed in our heart we have made our minds up that we are going to be united we are and I'm not saying that we had a big big fight on Tuesday none of that uh, I am, but I am saying that that's, that's real life. That's real world. That's, that's just with the staff around the table. But I'm grateful that, you know, over the past 18 years, or if we've worked together for longer than that, over uh, the last 25 years or close to 30 years that we've been working together, we have endeavored to keep unity. And that's been intentional. 
And it's been productive and I'm grateful for it. That, that happens if we are purposed to have unity. Because the reason he talks about unity is because Paul knows the next thing that he's going to talk about is diversity. In every one of these cases, this is, this is his mode of operation. He begins to talk to the church about unity because next he's going to, he's going to help them see their own diversity. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, he said, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. And, and he goes, I won't take the time to read it all tonight. We'll, we'll be here for a little while. But, but I'll just remind us that there, there's all of that indicating that we all have different gifts in the body. There is diversity. Someone say diversity. Same with Corinth. He said, for the body is not one member. He goes on, verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. We read that. Ephesians chapter 4, he goes on and to the church at Ephesus. He said, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He that descended, he gave, but verse 11, he said, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He said that there's going to be diversity, but that diversity has a purpose. That diversity has a divine intention in people. That diversity has a plan that God has because we can't do it with just one minister. We can't do it with just one ministry. We can't do it with just one, one group of believers. We, we need all of us coming together because you bring something to the table that we don't have. It was uh, during preparation for the lesson tonight. I, I began to <clears throat> pray about it, and I was talking to the Lord because um, I, I miss the moving of the gifts of the Spirit. I miss that the Word of God doesn't just come from this microphone or this podium, but rather God uses somebody in the midst of the pew that, that he moves on to just light a service up. He, he uses someone that, that, that he'll just give them the word. Why? Because it doesn't always have to come from here. It can come from out there. People have that gifting. I'm grateful for our worship team because that anointing rests on them and, and his spirit can move. It's, it's not resting on an individual. There's diverse opportunities for God to use to minister. And in one service, many people are ministered to, not just by the preacher, but by many people participating in a service. Can you tell I'm a little bit ready to get back together? Here's why we have to be careful, and here's why Paul addressed us. He said our diversity, he didn't say this, this is my summary, but he said our diversity will divide us if we don't endeavor to keep the unity. Diversity will divide us if we don't have that intention to be united Diversity will divide us. It will divide the body from accomplishing its plan. If, if the enemy can bring division and he's a master at it, then he'll bring division. Why? Because the body can't function the way that it needs to function. I, I remember we were <clears throat> working around the mission house one, 
one uh, week, and there was some still some stuff left over, so I, I ducked down on a Saturday morning, or Saturday evening it was, ducked down on a Saturday evening to get some stuff, and the trailer was loaded up, and wanted to get the trailer, and I think, think we had company coming, I think maybe a missionary was coming, didn't want to leave a, a mess in the backyard, so I was down there trying to get this trailer that was loaded that had been off my van, back onto my van, and, and of course there's a bit of, of downhill slope, and I was trying to maneuver the trailer onto the trailer ball. And uh, I had my hand in the way, and I pushed down uh, on the trailer so that it would hitch, uh, get hitched on the hitch. I guess that's the way we want to say it. And when I did, my finger slipped in between the ball and the trailer hitch. And uh, I, I remember that when I pulled my finger out, I, I could still have a scar there. That it divided my finger. It's, that's been a few years ago now, but I still have a mark that talks about, that, that reminds me of that division that happened in my body. I, I, uh, I can still remember the shock of looking down and seeing my, my finger that had been divided. I'm not going to try graphic because I'm not good at that either with the rest of you that aren't good at that. Um, but I remember it's, it was memorable because it was painful. It, it, I, I lost my ability to function properly with that finger because it suffered that cut. It suffered that, that bruise, that, that moment where it, it, it had impact that it wasn't supposed to have. And can I just let us know tonight that sometimes that's just a simple part of my body, just a small part. When, would hardly weigh a thing. It's just, just a part of my body. But that impacted my ability to do the work that I wanted to do. That yeah, it impacted my weekend for sure. It was memorable. It was a loss of function. It was painful. Why, why sometimes do we think that we can impact the body of Christ or that, that sometimes we say cutting things or, or hurtful things or, or we act in a certain way and someone is, is disappointed or someone is discouraged or someone, we, we hurt one another. Sometimes. Why do we do that when we, we know in our natural body we would never do that to ourselves? Because we're not endeavoring to keep the, we, haven't, we aren't willing to shelf ourselves. We aren't willing to put ourselves on the shelves for just a moment so that somebody can, can accomplish the thing that they need to accomplish or do what they need to do. We, we, we do that sometimes. And I'm encouraging us that in this season that we unite like we never had before. You say, well, we don't have the opportunity to be in church. That doesn't mean a thing. Reach out. Connect with the body of believers. That, that may be the local assembly. It may be beyond that. It may be about uh, a group of believers that are yet to come, but you're already including them. You're inviting them to be a part of the body of believers that you're a part of. That, that's what this is about. It isn't about separation and distinction and, and walking a, a, alone and walking apart and lone ranger Christianity. That is not what this season is about. This season is about us reaching in a way that we never had before. It's about us connecting in a way that we never had before. Why? Because the body is that important to us that we don't want division. We want connection. We want unity. We're not all like this. Paul didn't stop there. He went on from unity and diversity, the diversity that we need to maturity. And in each of these chapters, those, the story continues. Paul walks every church from unity to diversity. He walks them right through that to maturity. And, and the true test of maturity, the true sign of maturity is that of love. Is that we have the ability to love one another. 
in spite of our diversity, in spite of the things that would divide us and separate us, that we have the ability to love one another, not tolerate one another, not I can, I can love you, brother, but I don't have to like you, not that, not that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the ability to love when love is willing to sacrifice. And Paul goes on in every one of these scriptures to speak to them about the power of love. Romans chapter 12, he goes on, he said, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather, listen, this is what love does, gives place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, give it to God, let him handle it. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, in thine, therefore, this is love, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. Who is that now? Your enemy. Your enemy. If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Listen, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Love does that. And you know, we've got to stop reading 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings as our altar instruction for grooms and brides. And we've got, to start, we've got to start reading that in our daily lives so we can take this church beyond our four walls. I won't take time to read it all. You've heard it at most weddings. But I'll, I'll just read a few verses. You can read the whole chapter later and you can move on even into chapter 14. But 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 if you were to pause just there in the middle of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13 and 4, it says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Hallelujah. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never fails. Love doesn't fail. And Paul with Rome and Paul with the church at Corinth, he reminds them, he reminds them, don't, don't stop just with understanding that we need unity. Don't stop with understanding that our church needs to have diversity. And that's not just in abilities and gifts and talents and personalities. We'll get there in a minute. We're going to talk a little bit tonight. But we're talking about God telling us that our church needs to love. So unite, embrace our diversity, and love. Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus, he, he, this is how he talked about love to them. He said, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Verse 15, listen now. He says, but speaking the truth, how? In love. Speak the truth in love. We know that when we mature, when we're willing to speak the truth in love. Anger and immaturity wants to fight. But truth says, oh, let me, or love says, let me just tell you the truth. Not confrontation, it's connection. Because the body is more important than our individual position. It all leads to love. 
we can come back to the music tonight. For the body of Christ to be the body of Christ, we need unity, diversity, and love. We're living in a world right now that is so filled with confusion and frustration. It's the headlines, it's the news clips. And there's cause for frustration. There's cause for anger. I was talking to a good friend of mine, Brother Ken Elliott, today, and he said, you know, God gave me a scripture. He said, be angry, but sin not. We have a right to be angry about things that happen and the way that people are treated. We, we have a right to be angry, and, and <clears throat> when we don't know all of the stories, but we just see those parts, and our heart breaks, and our heart reaches out, we... We, can, we have the right to be angry. We have the right to be frustrated. We have the right to question our position and our motives. We have the right to investigate our own hearts and our own lives today. We have that right, and we have that responsibility if we're going to be that church. We, we need to do our part in erasing racism. We need to do our part. We need to do our part about ensuring that it doesn't happen in the environments that we're around, that we're willing to speak up and declare ourselves and declare our positions. I, I could take you to the day when God impacted your pastors, not pastor, but the, our pastor's hearts about the responsibility that we had to become a multicultural church. It was many years ago now. But God has been working on us. Why? Because this end time church is going to look a lot different than it did in previous years. It was minister's conference many years ago. I was attending with pastor. I remember listening to the speaker and he was speaking against racism and there was strong amens in the room, thankfully, and, and I joined mine with theirs. Amen. We need to end racism. And, and it was another speaker, not the immediately following speaker, but it was another preacher that got up just to a little while later in the course of his message, he said the same thing and we all, we all amened again. And, and I remember that it was about the third time and the finally, fine, don't, don't think I'm being smug tonight. I'm going I'm to hit us over the head in a minute. But it was about the third time that I finally leaned over to pastor and I said, is that really a thing anymore? Poor little cold, naive Canadian. Don't have a sweet clue. Still don't have much of a clue. But we're learning. And so for a while, I was smug. I thought about the fact that we didn't have that problem because we didn't see that in our environment. We didn't see that in our church. But the challenge was that we didn't have any culture in our communities. We had to go a long way to find another culture, another distinct culture. We had to go a long way to find... I, you know, I, I grew up with strict mom and dad. I didn't, I didn't much like bluegrass when I was a kid so the most wonderful music to me was just a good old gospel choir Milton Brunson Thompson community singers I I, I loved the, the whinings I, I loved the different 
uh, New Jersey Mass, uh, Hezekiah Walker. I loved all those choirs. I grew up in that, that stuff. So, so for me, I, I had a desire. I wish that I could be a part of a church culture like that. I had a, a desire. So, so I embraced that. I desired that. I, I hungered for that. I wished for that. But I can tell you that over the course of the last 18 years, our community is changing. Our community is shifting and the culture is adjusting. And if we're going to be a capital community church, then we have got to have the culture of our capital's community in our church. That's what we need. When God gave us the burden for multicultural ministry in our own city, it came with passion. It came along with uh, challenge and drive. It came along with people that sided with us and encouraged us and shouldered the load and worked with us and reached with us. It came with excitement and confusion. And we know we heard from God, but we, we also began to realize that some people were dismissive and dis- they were disturbed by the changes. Maybe even a little bit dismayed. Why? And I remember wondering, why is there any resistance? This is God's church. I thought perhaps I could chalk the challenge up to just change. Just the fact that people had to change to embrace the new reality of what we see in our communities. I, I, I could chalk it up to change, but I, I also had to realize that maybe, and I don't have maybe in my notes, I had to realize that we had a problem. And while I smugly looked to our neighbors, sometimes to the south or around us, I had to realize that perhaps the beam was in our own eye that we needed to work out. We had ESL, many people helped us launch. I remember how it all started, and I won't take a long time. It was ESL that we promoted and pushed and nobody signed up for. You have to create a level of trust. You have to create a level where people see your love. It started with one lady, and we were invited into their community, and it was just one day we were driving, and Kathy said, I, I, I want to take you down through this community and so we went through the community and the moment we turned the corner into that community all of a sudden it was like we crossed borders oceans cultures and divides and we were in a brand new world full full of culture multi-culture and I remember the wheels beginning to turn and the passion beginning to burn and excitement because God had put that in our heart and we just needed to connect the dots. In one outreach, we started inviting children to Sunday school and we organized a van pickup and we showed up on that Sunday, Pastor Mike Hennessy and I, we showed up all ready for all the kids that had signed up when they got their bag of chips and treats and that were going to come with us to Sunday school and there was nobody there. I remember looking at Pastor Mike and I said, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Someday we're going to be able to tell the story that this started the first Sunday of church bus ministry at Capital CCC in the last 20 years had nobody on it. 
Why? Because you have to build a relationship. They have to know that you trust them. Yeah, it, it wasn't just all people of different cultures. It was socioeconomic differences. There were people in different classes. And there's all kinds of things that could bring division. But God said, bring that diversity. It's not division. It's diversity. And you need that diversity in your church. If Paul talked about it three times to three churches and said, get ready because people aren't going to be cookie cutter of you, then you've got to realize God wanted a multicultural, diverse church. We need that in this end time. And, and we're continuing to reach. We're continuing to, to be challenged. We're continuing to embrace. We, we need that. It's absolutely critical. If we are going to mirror the church that God showed us was going to be in the end times of every nation, every kindred, every tongue, if that's going to happen in heaven, then it's going to happen here on earth. If, that, if that's a part of our community, then it needs to be a part of Capital Community Church and not just this church, but your church. Your church needs that in it as well. So what began with one outreach turned in, turned into the opportunity of connecting with so many different wonderful, phenomenal people. We turned ourselves inside out to help people. We, we wore the wheels off our car. We pushed into uncomfortable territory. Sometimes we were received and sometimes we weren't. And we saw bits and pieces of the harvest, but it wasn't what we wanted to see. I'll be honest tonight. It wasn't what we wished to see. It was, it, it's been wonderful. It's been phenomenal. But we still would desire that God would grow the culture, the multicultural in our church. It, we're not content until we have every nation reach, until we have somebody here from every part of the world. We're not content. Why? Because that's in our community. So what's in our community needs to be in our church. And so maybe we didn't see the harvest that we wanted to see yet. Someone say yet. But with a few years behind us, as I look back, I realize that perhaps the work that God was doing wasn't just in the harvest field, but the work that God was doing was in our heart to prepare us, to prepare our minds for what He's going to do in the future. And God is slowly preparing us for a quick work, so get ready. But God is only going to trust a revival to a church that's willing to love everybody. Everybody. And so my challenge tonight in the midst of our midweek Bible Bible study, our lesson tonight is simply a few questions. Will you deliberately determine to unite with us? Will you deliberately determine with us to embrace all of the cultural diversity in our community? Will you deliberately determine with us to love people? Because love looks past this, the color of skin to the condition of a heart, to the brokenness of a mind or a spirit. Love looks past all that to the heart. Love looks past the slow sentences of broken English 
because you sure don't know their language. So you have got to work with them through the limited language that they have. And you're not in a love. Love isn't in a hurry to run away because it's taking your precious time. Love says, let me pause for a moment because this person needs to be a part of what God is doing in this end time. That's what love does. Love. Love includes a newcomer into your clique, your club, your family dinner table. Love does that. And God is going to trust a church in the end time with, if they have that kind of love. And CCC, Fredericktonian, Canadian, whatever you want to say, it's not time for us to wag our finger the country to the south of us. It's time for us to search our hearts because God needs us to be a church that loves everybody. You bring those people and God will do the work of healing and helping. And before you are looking so intently for the healing to happen, on the other side of your table, it may be that God is healing something in you. Who am I tonight? I'm a member in the body of Christ. But I'm a member that's intentional and determined and committed to allow God use us to become the church that he wants us to be. I wonder if you just sing this chorus together with us tonight. You're my brother.